Hi, Stokers. Welcome to Bath and Body Parts. Today, we're continuing the story of Becky Watts, a young teen who had suffered from anorexia and social struggles. After a long road to recovery, she was finally finding some stability when she went missing at age 16. When we left off, her father was just hearing that nobody had seen Becky since the previous morning. The following episode contains content that may be disturbing to some listeners. Please use your discretion. Now, Darren returned home to find Angie, Nathan, Shauna, and Becky's friends all looking anxious. They started trying to piece together who had seen her last. Now, the last visible sighting of her seemed to be when Angie had left on Thursday morning before her doctor's appointment. Shauna heard her leave the house around 11.15, but hadn't actually seen her. And now Darren had all these alarm bells going off. And he took Becky's friend Courtney into the room to help him look through her clothes to see if anything was missing. And I always find people's quick responses to do stuff like that very impressive because I don't know that I would have the logic no. in place and the the foresight to Not do that. At all. So I thought that that was just a little wise and detail also there. to to know your friend or your family member's wardrobe enough to even know if something was missing. I don't even know if I would be able to look in my own closet and realize if something oh, was missing or not. Yeah. You know, I have no idea what's in there. But I don't I think, know. You know, they're young girls. Yes. They're like super close. They probably borrow each other's clothes. So right. still, I mean, I'm not that observant. She's probably seen but everything. Maybe, you know, no. maybe other people are. Now, a couple of clothing items were missing, but all of Becky's bags and her makeup were there. Her laptop and her phone were gone. And she also never took her laptop out of the house. So this was pretty unusual. And Darren called the police to report her missing. And while he was waiting for them to come, he knocked on all the doors of the neighbors to see if anybody had seen her, but nobody had. And officers responded and basically said that she was probably with a friend. Now, I do feel like going to the neighbors and knocking on their doors is something that I would maybe think to do, you know? Oh, yes. Yes. And Darren asked Nathan to help him make a Facebook post asking if anyone had seen her. And the post spread on social media and everyone in the community was actively looking for Becky. The next day, Detective Constable Rush Jones and Major Crime Investigation Officer Joe Marks came to the house. They were assigned to the investigation. They took DNA samples from Becky's room, and they put out a public appeal for help. Becky's family made flyers with her photo and spread them everywhere. Darren tried to hold a press conference to get more attention. He was so emotional, he couldn't even get through it, and he had to have another family member step in. Yeah, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. I know myself. I couldn't do it. No. As the days went on, reporters were everywhere flocking to the house, trying to talk to the family. Media coverage was everywhere. And Darren did feel like this was very invasive, but he always made a point to stop and talk to the reporters, give them a statement, because he knew how important media coverage is in a missing person's case. But 
as time went on, he really became convinced he was never going to see Becky again. His worst fear was that she had been raped and killed. He actually then did something a little unusual. He put out a Facebook post saying that Becky was on her period and appealing to wives, mothers, and girlfriends to contact the police if they notice any unexplained blood on their partner's or son's underwear. Oh. And he addresses this in the book, talking about how he was just really spiraling at the time, and he just felt like any detail was important to share, and that, you know, he had this in his mind, that she had been raped and killed. Oh, gosh. Oh, but gosh. it feels certainly unusual. Uh, yeah. I it, I feel icky right now. I feel like, oh, yeah. yeah. I, I just think it's one of those situations where you just don't know what you're going to do. He's trying everything that he can. Uh, ah, and he's so, he is clearly grieving yes. so hard. Oh, yes. and, and he has so many emotions. He's very much spiraling. He's not sleeping. And I just think he didn't think that this was going to be a weird thing to do. Wow. But the newspapers reported the message calling it disturbing. And a lot of people really thought that this was very weird. That's hard. Detectives Joan and Marks continued their investigation, asking friends and family about the timeline for more clarification. And when they started questioning Shauna, they noticed something unusual. She had this very odd demeanor and she would smile eerily when she answered their questions. And now we have talked about how your behavior doesn't mean anything, right? Yes. Uh, Demeanor is not necessarily indicative of anything, of anything, but But. but (laughs) smiling eerily is just flat out bizarre and creepy sorry it is <laughs> it, it really is and you can actually find videos of this interview you can oh, find no. some, some I don't, clips of I don't some of the interviews watch they're that. pretty weird and um not super easy to find but you know go down the internet rabbit hole if sure. you want now this kind of weird behavior combined with the tight timeline and the fact that Nathan and Shauna had been home when Becky left made the detectives really look closer at them. And they asked the family to go stay at a hotel so that they could bring in a forensic team. Darren and Angie were confused and upset about this, but they complied. Now, detectives found traces of Becky's blood on her door jam, along with a bloody fingerprint. On February 27th, Darren and Angie were brought in for additional questioning. Jones and Marks asked about Becky's relationship with Shauna and Nathan. Now, Darren adamantly defended Nathan and Shauna and yelled at detectives to go out and do their jobs. When the fingerprints came back as a match for Nathan, Nathan and Shauna were both arrested. Now, when he was arrested, Nathan told the police that he was, quote, emotionally unstable and psychologically disturbed. Oh, okay. His lawyer gave detectives a pre-written letter claiming that, quote, his mental health and learning difficulties made it difficult for him to say it out loud. And in the letter, he confessed to being responsible for Becky's death. In the letter, he says that he had planned to scare Becky. 
he didn't like her. He felt that she was disrespectful to his mom. He felt like she was attention-seeking. And so he wanted to teach her a lesson. So he packed up a kit with handcuffs and a bag and a mask, and he waited until Shauna went outside for a cigarette. Then he went to the trunk of his car, got this bag, went to Becky's room, put the mask on, and planned to force her into the bag, kidnap her, take her into the woods, tie her to a tree, and tell her that she had to start treating people better, and then he was going to let her go. That's a big what the fuck from me, for sure. <laughs> I mean, for sure. It's, that's just a lot wow. there. Wow. Yeah. And the fact that he claims that he was going to do all of this while Shauna was outside smoking a cigarette, I guess. <laughs> or maybe he's just going to disappear and Shauna's not going to think it's weird that Nathan and Becky are gone. Is Shauna just going to smoke an entire pack of cigarettes this entire time? Right. Like, what's Does, happening here? Are her cigarette breaks day long i mean obviously that story doesn't make any sense wow yeah we'll get into that a little bit later on but he says that when he went into her room and tried to force her into the bag the mask slipped and he panicked and strangled her when she saw his face he then claimed that he put becky's body into the trunk of the car while shauna was still outside smoking and waited until they went home later And then he moved the body into the bathroom and dismembered the body. Obviously, after this confession, Nathan gets interrogated further. And in this interrogation, he broke down crying, begged the police not to read the letter out loud. And he told the police officers that they would find her body parts at a house in Barton Hill. And he gave them the address. When they arrived on the scene, police officers found several suitcases bags, and a blue plastic cooler. Inside the bags were packages wrapped in cling wrap. And when the officers unwrapped these packages, they found Becky's body parts, including her decapitated head and her torso. Yeah, this is not easy for us to tell this story because it is so... I, I feel like this one has an added level of sad and just yeah that that whole thing very hard now when darren and angie heard that nathan had confessed they were in absolute shock they couldn't believe it and they didn't understand any possible motive and following the arrest darren and angie struggled and their relationship suffered darren was outspoken about wanting to kill nathan And he would lash out at Angie. And it was a really hard time for both of them. And they turned to alcohol to cope. And I don't blame them for turning to alcohol because this is... They've had so much stress as a family already before this happened. And this would just catapult you into the darkest time. Definitely. Absolutely. It feels like an impossible situation for both of them. Darren is obviously shattered his world is shattered his daughter has been murdered the person that he views as a son is responsible yeah angie i feel like has all these other added emotions she's got so much going on this is her child oh my god that has taken the life of somebody that she views as her child yeah and the burning questions in their mind was just why why did this happen what possible motive could there be 
And in March of 2015, the preliminary hearing was held. Nathan was indicted on murder charges, and Shauna was indicted on charges of perverting the course of justice. But when investigators made additional discoveries, those charges changed. When they got Shauna and Nathan's phone records, a more clear motive became apparent. For months, Shauna and Nathan had exchanged text messages talking about kidnapping young girls. Here's an exchange from December 9th. Nathan wrote, Fuck you. Bring me back two pretty schoolgirls then. And Shauna replies, LOL, yeah, I'll just kidnap them from school. And later that day, Shauna wrote, Just went to Cost Cutter and saw a very pretty petite girl. Almost knocked her out to bring home, LOL, XOXO. Nathan immediately responded, Don't you almost me. Now fucking do it, bitch, XXXX. Nathan had a huge collection of rape porn with young girls in it. And Shauna had even messaged another teenage girl on Facebook in an attempt to form a relationship with her. Shauna told the police that Nathan had grown sexually frustrated with her and had initiated a threesome with another girl and that he also frequently solicited prostitutes. So based on this evidence, the prosecution upgraded Shauna's charge to murder. And like, I'm sorry that I had to read those texts. Me- like, very this is a- disturbing. Yeah. This is a next level disturbed couple. The- this is disgusting. Four other people were indicted on charges of assisting an offender. Nathan had offered to pay them 10,000 pounds to help him move the bags with body parts and store them at one of their houses. Two of those people took a plea bargain and the other two stood trial and were found not guilty. Now, all four of those people maintained that they believed that Nathan had been involved in something shady, obviously, but they assumed it was a robbery. They did not know what was in the packages and they did not know about the murder. On October 6, 2015, the trial for Nathan and Shauna began. At the trial, the prosecution established that the murder had been sexually motivated and planned well in advance. Two stun guns had been ordered in Shauna's name a month before the murder. Their theory was that Shauna and Nathan had packed kidnap kits, waited until Angie left, then arrived and attacked Becky. After she died, they put her body in the car and stayed around the house acting normal. Later that evening, they left. They drove the body back to their place with their child in the car. That night, they ordered takeout and watched TV and played video games. And then they dismembered the body. The prosecution presented their text messages as evidence and also revealed that the evening of the murder, Shauna had Googled, do you want to hide a body? Which is a parody of do you want to build a snowman? Wow. The details that come out in this case are so messed up that, like, I shouldn't be surprised. But, like, those small details, like, freaking, do you want to hide a body? Like, that's so trashy and disgusting to me. Like, I can't even wrap my mind around that. Yeah. And then you're just, like, ordering takeout. And they stayed, they stayed there at the house until seven o'clock. It's disgusting. With the body in the trunk of their car while everyone is. Yeah. They are in the house oh, and yeah. it's just so Yeah. And then you have your child in the car. No. I, I just I mm-mm, can't. Mm-mm. It's very hard for me to process their behavior. Now, Nathan 
adamantly claimed that Shauna did not know anything about the murder. He stuck to his story about the intention being to kidnap Becky to scare her. And he said that his biggest issue with Becky was that she was rude to his mom, which Angie disputed, and that she always left items out that she could trip over. Hmm. And I guess apparently that is motive enough for you to plan this kidnapping. Yeah. Wow. He also said that he thought that she came up with her anorexia to get attention and sympathy, and he wanted her to stop acting like that. But he did change up his story a bit this time. He said that she fought back and he was having a really hard time getting her in the bag. And so he actually punched her once to try and knock her out, but he didn't want her to feel pain. So he attempted to strangle her just enough to get her to pass out. But then he realized that she wasn't breathing and he checked her pulse and realized that she was dead. So that's when he moved her body to the car and waited until they got home to dismember it. And he also said that he told Shauna that the toilet was clogged, so not to go into the bathroom, and that he would be in there fixing the toilet. And that when she heard the sounds of the circular saw that he used to dismember the body, that she likely just assumed that he was fixing the toilet. Nathan denied being sexually attracted to Becky, but he admitted that he had fantasies about teenage girls and that he had always been attracted to them. I just, like, I, I don't even know. I don't even... I, hmm. There's just so much there, and I don't even really know how to unpack it, nope. but I just find Nathan's story obviously completely unbelievable. Right. Because definitely when you fix a clogged toilet, you need a circular saw. Yeah. Don't you always use that to unclog a toilet? I think most of us use a plunger. Shauna also said that she knew nothing about it and that she was disgusted. She said that she was scared of Nathan. And she claimed that the text message exchanges were sarcastic. And her search for, do you want to hide a body, was just a coincidence. Because she was trying to cheer Nathan up by showing him a video. So instead of finding a video like an animal video or a silly, you know, happy video, this is what you're going to use to cheer up your freaking psychotic boyfriend. Okay. Okay. I mean, I really would have gone with somebody else was using my phone. Right. <laughs> Just like, right. you know, at this point, you supposedly now know that Nathan was actually trying to hide a body. And you're going with, it's just a coincidence that (laughs) I Googled, do you want to hide a body? Well, yeah. Ob. 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 If you'd like to support the podcast, get access to bonus content and extra mini true crime cases, plus get access to our exclusive Bath and Body Parts bath bombs, we'd love to have you join our Patreon as a soaker, super soaker, or bath bomber. Visit patreon.com slash bath and body parts to learn more. While Nathan had appeared emotional on the stand, Shauna appeared cold and collected. And she claimed that Becky used her anorexia to manipulate people and that it was only for attention. She talked about how she didn't like Becky, but that she would never hurt her. Just screw off, Shauna. Just screw off with your dumb logic. She really creeps me out. Yeah. 
Ugh. I just imagine her smiling while she's saying this. I just... <laughs> now, the police had found Shauna's DNA on a face mask that was found with Becky's remains. Her DNA was also on a garbage bag and a t-shirt found at the scene. And Nathan's DNA was on both masks. There was also CCTV footage of Shauna and Nathan buying black bags, rubber gloves, and cling wrap, along with footage of Nathan buying a circular saw that he used to dismember the body, along with face masks and goggles. Police footage showed Shauna giggling during questioning. So not only is she smiling eerily, she's also fucking laughing. Despicable. Despicable. Forensic pathologists revealed that Becky had been stabbed 15 times and dismembered in eight locations. Nathan claimed that he had stabbed her to, quote, drain the body of fluids. Friends of Becky's testified that in the two years leading up to the murder, Nathan had repeatedly told Becky that he was going to kill her and describing how he would do it in graphic detail. That is so upsetting to me because that tells us that Becky's fears were not unfounded. Like she had legitimate fears and it's just so upsetting that she was having to live with that. Yes. (sighs) Yeah. Like it's it's not easy for real. mm. Shauna's mom testified that Nathan was controlling of Shauna. And one of Shauna's friends stated this as well and said that Nathan would obsessively talk about how much he hated Becky. Angie's mom testified that it was the other way around, that Shauna was controlling of Nathan. And she also testified that Nathan's mental state had deteriorated over the last two years, along with his aggression toward Becky. She said that he became paranoid and started hoarding things. In his closing arguments... Prosecutor William Mousley said that Shauna and Nathan were living in a fantasy world, but that the truth was apparent to the rest of us. There was no way that Shauna didn't know. There was no way that this was an accident and that Nathan just continued to dismember the body. He basically called the entire defense absolutely ridiculous. And Shauna's lawyer claimed that she was also a victim of Nathan's. And Nathan's lawyer said that this was just a terrible accident. And I think that William Mousley's language where he talks about them living in a fantasy world is so accurate. Yes. Because none of that, to me, is even plausible in the slightest. Yes. If you wanted to teach somebody a lesson, why would this be the way that you're going to go about it? Right. If it was going to be the way that you chose to go about it, how does your plan make any sense? You're going to just go take her into the woods and tie her to a tree and then you're just going to let her go and she's just going to... And everything's fine after that? Like, yeah. she's going to be like, oh, yeah, 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 okay. I'll stop leaving things around the house on the floor. Right, like she's going to connect that and she's not going to contact the police right. that are going to probably track you down. There's no consequence. There's no consequence. This is just in a bubble, you know? And then if you did accidentally kill someone... You're not going to try to revive them. You're not going to call 911. No. You're your, going to your immediate reaction dismember is dismember the body. Yes. Ugh. And he even said he tried to buy acid to dissolve the body. Oh my God. And it didn't work. And it's clear he gets a lot of ideas from television. Right. 
And the entire story of Shauna not knowing and just thinking that the saw sounds coming from the bathroom. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. I, I mean, and again, that you, what were you going to do? She's outside smoking a cigarette. You're right. going to get this all done and then yeah. get out of the house and she's yeah. never going to know. It doesn't make any sense. No. On November 11th, the verdicts were returned and the family was pretty confident that Nathan was going to be found guilty, but they were very scared that Shauna was not because at the end of the day, you could believe her story or you could believe that she was, sure at the very least, super controlled by Nathan. Right, right. You could feel sympathy for her, although she didn't really elicit a lot of sympathy on the stand. Sure. We've talked before about how demeanor doesn't necessarily mean anything, so... Mm-hmm. That was their biggest fear. Now, for both Shauna and Nathan, the juries could convict on either murder, manslaughter, or choose to acquit them. Nathan was found guilty of murder. He was later sentenced to life in prison with a minimum sentence of 33 years. Shauna was found guilty of manslaughter, and she was sentenced to 17 years in prison. And I do have to say that I find that very interesting. Yes. That the jury chose to convict on manslaughter because I feel like you either think this was planned, Mm -hmm. and by planned, I mean either they planned to kidnap and rape Becky and kill her, but probably not kill her at that moment, or you believe that they went specifically to kill her there, Mm -hmm. or you buy the story that she didn't know anything about. About I guess right. I don't understand how you think that it was more of an accidental escalation on Shauna's part right. and not on Nathan's. It feels like if you're going to say manslaughter, it would be you for would him. say manslaughter for both, mm-hmm. or that you would just completely acquit her and call it either murder or manslaughter for him. Right. It, it, I just I feel like maybe they hedged their bets, like they couldn't decide, and yeah. so they just kind of went in the middle. It's interesting to yeah, me. They kind of compromised. Yeah, it, it does yeah. appear to me that it was like a compromise, you know? It's, it yeah. is very interesting. Now, after the sentencing, the judge addressed Becky's family tearfully, saying that they had handled themselves with dignity in the face of a really devastating trial and the tragedy in general. Becky's entire family was left absolutely devastated. Darren, Angie, Tanya, Danny, and the extended family as well. And actually, the day that Becky died was Danny's birthday. Her boyfriend, Luke, and her close friends were also crushed, and they all continued to stay in close contact with the family after the trial. Amazingly, Darren and Angie stayed together, which I find very surprising. Yeah, given all of the strain that their family had, for sure. Exactly. They are working day by day, healing, but obviously still devastated. Darren wrote Evil Within as a way to tell Becky's story and process what happened. And it it really is a gut-wrenching read. Yeah. I cannot overstate how sad it is, but it's a very good book. And, you know, in telling the story, like I said at the beginning of this story, the headlines become very sensationalized. You know, stepbrother sure. murders stepsister with sexual motive. I I just really don't want Becky to get lost. She was a shy but kind girl. She mentored bullied teens. She was often scared and lonely and not sure who to turn to. She suffered mental health issues, but she loved her family. Her friends absolutely adored her. And even random kids that she had mentored showed up at her funeral just 
beside themselves with grief. Yeah. So it is clear that she had a lot to offer the world and that was cut short tragically. At a memorial after her death, Darren had a reverend read out loud a tribute he had written for Becky. It ended with this quote. As you look down from heaven, just look at what your short life has achieved. Not bad for a shy girl. You will forever be in our hearts and thoughts. Rest in peace, Angel of Bristol. Uh, yeah, I'm crying. <laughs> I'm crying. <laughs> I've cried a lot in researching this case and writing the script and reading the book. Yeah, it's, this this is, a, I don't know. This is a really hard one. And it's not that like we don't get emotionally invested in our other cases. Mm-hmm. But this one, I don't know. Like this one has just, I I don't know. It's just horribly sad. So it's really sad. But I would like to get into our thoughts on the case. Yes. You know, I think that there were a lot of missed opportunities by counselors and social workers. Yeah. And I don't know that that any of it could have prevented anything. Right. Some of it had nothing to do with Nathan. But then I think back to that time that she did say to a counselor that she was scared of Nathan and that they just kind of let that slide by. Right. They didn't separate her. Yeah. They didn't dive deeper into that. I think my biggest missed thing that we talked about was the uh, when she approached the school about the sexual explicit photo threat, having her photos leaked. Yeah. Just because like this wasn't, you know, in the 80s or the 90s. Like this is in the age of social media. This is a very real threat that people face. And I think that cyber threats like this are so damaging to people. And if you're in a school system and you're approached by someone who's saying that this is a possibility, that needs to be taken so seriously. It really does. Like, she was a child. Like, she was young. This is not good in any way. And no. And again, the sexually explicit photos... That doesn't impact her her death, you know. No. That couldn't have prevented that. No. But it still shouldn't have happened. Yes. She had touch points of eight different agencies. Yes. She had every opportunity to be helped with her mental health struggles, whether or not what happened to her ended up happening to her. And she was just let down by the system over and over and And over again. And we know that any sort of social work any sort of organization in any country, anywhere, is overwhelmed. Their their social workers are given so many cases, and it's unfortunate, but it is just a fact that not everyone gets the services that they require and that they need to have a healthy, stable life. And there's nothing that we can do about that other than just talk about and bring awareness to that fact. And like, I have family members who work in social work and I I respect that work so much, but I know it's not easy and I know it's extremely difficult to to meet all of the demands that you're given, especially yeah. in our country with all the underfunding and all of those things. But like, this is by no means an attack on them. It's just so unfortunate that she didn't get what she needed from so yeah. many different agencies. You know, and people who go into social work go into it for very good reasons and they really want to help. But I think oftentimes they are so bogged down by the system that they can't help. And 
it's just really sad. The system is set up against them. Yeah. And in turn, that means that the system is set up against people who would benefit from, you know, more one-on-one investigating or any of those things. Like, it's a ripple effect in a very negative way. Yes. The other thing that I think that this case really brings to the forefront is mental health and teenagers in general. Yes. Obviously, Becky really suffered from a lot of mental health issues and did not get help, even though she was seeing counselors. Yes. It it just didn't seem like she was really getting the help that she needed to me. Yeah. And then you have to think about Nathan. Yes. He was exhibiting very concerning behavior very early on. He had a car full of 12-year-old girls. When he was 19. So... You know, I, I don't blame the family at all for not no, 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 raising no. alarms earlier, but it just makes me wonder if there were other signs that were missed along the way with him. Right. You know, were social workers around him and could have identified right. some concerning behaviors earlier on and maybe steered that in a different direction? I don't know. It's hard for me to believe that he wasn't showing something. Yeah. And of course, looking back with hindsight, we would look at it differently. Of course. But I do feel like because there were so many touch points on the family with social services. Yeah. It again, it just mental health of teenagers in general is not treated with enough levity and enough seriousness. Yes. Yes. Because a lot of times we hear, oh, they're teenagers. They're just acting out because that's normal, right? Mm -hmm. Like, It's just normal. That's just the way they are. Boys will be boys. They always like girls that are younger and pretty and, you know, all of these things. And there's no clear line of like, where where does it become not normal, right? And I don't know. There is no line. There's, it's not, it's not a concrete thing. It's so hard, you know, if say you are a parent of a a teenage boy who is watching porn, for example, that's not inherently concerning necessarily right but what if they have rape porn with young kids and it, you know yeah. is that concerning you know yeah. I, I mean it just there's so much that goes into it and I certainly don't have all of the answers but I just think that we all have to be on the lookout as a society yes as a whole yes. for our teenagers and their mental health both from people like Becky who are clearly suffering from social anxiety and bullying absolutely and all of this and also for these signs that intervention needs to happen earlier with people like Nathan. Absolutely. The other thing that I want to talk about are a couple of points on the actual crime and that is the sexual motivation aspect. Yep. Darren and the family actually maintain that they don't believe that the murder was sexually motivated. They think that it stemmed from just kind of like a lifelong hatred of Becky and Mm -hmm. like a longstanding jealousy. And I think that there are probably a lot of factors. I think obviously Nathan had really negative feelings towards Becky from the very beginning and they just sort of escalated. I think Nathan clearly had some mental health things that led him down a disturbing path. Yes. But it's hard for me to believe, given the concerning nature of those text messages exchanged between Shauna and Nathan, yes, that that didn't play a role. It definitely, to me, seems like the text messages incriminate them. Like, they're self-incriminating. Yes. And I don't feel like there's any... You can't say, oh, it was just a joke. 
Um, I think that what it makes me wonder is if it wasn't Becky, would it have been a random other teenage girl that they saw at a, at a shop? I think about the other girl that they were messaging before. Was that the intention there? Yeah. And how far was that going to go? And if, yeah. I do think that there's this element that, you know, Nathan hates Becky. He's jealous of Mm -hmm. her. He doesn't like the attention she gets. He feels like she's manipulative. Mm -hmm. He's got all this weird mental health, whatever. I'm not Mm -hmm. trying to diagnose him with a specific thing, but clearly some sort of compulsions. And then I think that there's the element of a sexual attraction there that makes him kind of like hate himself, hate, yeah. hate himself, and, and then put yes. that hatred on her. Yes. And I think that all of that escalated it to being Becky. But Absolutely. I do think if it wasn't Becky, it was going to be somebody else. I also feel like the fact that it's almost like he had this right lifelong hatred of her, and the fact that she was murdered at the age of 16 kind of like when at the age of 16 a lot of girls start looking more like women their bodies change Mm -hmm. all of these things and I do feel like that kind of makes me think that that aspect of it is there because he had the motive his entire life right Mm -hmm. and so he could have done it so much earlier but he didn't. And so that makes me think that that definitely did play a part. I agree. And just to leave off here, and my my final thought is I just feel so bad for Darren, obviously, but also for Angie. Oh my gosh, yes. I cannot imagine what it is like to know that the child that you love is capable of this. Yeah. I'm sure that you question yourself as a mother. You question what signs that you missed. And I don't think that there was a way for her to have ever known that no. anything like this was going to happen. And I just, oh, I feel so bad for and her. she's sick. She, yes. She's ill. She has this debilitating illness on top of all of this. Uh, yeah, I my heart breaks for her, for sure. So bad. And then I'm sure she has to wonder if she gave him more attention if it would have stopped it, but I don't think that it would have. But when but, you're no. in a tragic situation, oh, it's so easy to blame yourself. All of that self-doubt, all of that self-doubt, for sure. And that is our case on Becky Watts. This was a really heavy one. Thank yeah. you guys for sticking with us if you did. Yeah. Whew. And now it's time for self-care and prepare. So for my self-care tip, I am going to recommend something so strange. It's a <laughs> foot callus remover. Okay. All right. I like so, it. you know, I use like pumice stones and I try to take care of my feet, yes. but... Like being a new mom of two. Yes. I don't have a lot of time to take care of myself the way that I used to. And my husband has this foot callus remover that it looks like a cheese grater. Okay. I have one of these. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So now I got one and tried it for the first time and I was so... I was so grossed out by it. Oh, yes. But it's amazing. Oh, yes. Like it is one of those things that is so gross, but so gratifying at the same time. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Every time I'm like, this is disgusting, but also I can't stop. <laughs> yes. Yes. And just be careful when you use them. Like, make sure you don't go too hard because you don't want to yeah. hurt yourself. But definitely, um, 
like if you if you order them from anywhere that has like review photos, like it's really <laughs> gross. It's so gross, but it is effective. It is effective. So gross, but so effective. Yes. And my prepare tip is the anorexia and eating disorders in general are a real threat to our young children, especially young girls, way before you think it is. Yeah. As starting as low as age nine, signs can come up even before then. So it's just really important to be on the lookout for that. It's important to model healthy diet and mindset habits around food and to think about the way that you address food around children. You know, yeah, it's so, so important. They take all of that in and, and seek help early if you yes. see any concerning behavior. And I feel like it's it's almost like going to be happening earlier and earlier in the fact that kids are watching a lot more TV and YouTube and all of these things. And so even picking media that has more, you know, bodily representation other than just this thin ideal body or whatever, like just, I think about the movie Encanto and I think about how those girls in that movie are built differently and how Mm -hmm. the kids in my class are like, they're celebrating being strong and yes. being, you know, rather than being just beautiful, right? Right. Other and, and then those girls you know, are other different like, body types and other different and body types, body positivity. Exactly. So we would love to hear your thoughts on this case. Find us on social media at Body Parts Pod. Okay, soakers, we'll leave it here for today. Tune in with us next week to hear another tale of true crime. Until then, self care for the best, prepare for the worst, but most importantly, take care of yourself. We'll catch you next time on Bath and Body Parts. Bye. Body Parts merch, snag your shirts, mugs, fanny packs, towels, and more at bathandbodypartspodcast.com slash merch. If you'd like to support the show and get access to VIP perks like ad-free content, early access to episodes, and extra episodes each month, along with special segments and exclusive merch, including the Bath and Body Parts Bath Bomb, you can become a soaker, super soaker, or bath bomber on our Patreon. Just visit patreon.com slash bathandbodyparts to get started.